He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charm. But the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Happy when your king is the son of the nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. If a bird of the air, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some wicked creature tell the matter. Pray with me. Lord, I pray that the church would prosper and spread your word. I pray that you would use Mr. West to proclaim the truth of your gospel and that you would instruct and change our lives and you would make yourself known to other people. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Judah. I asked Judah if he was going to pray that I didn't say anything dumb. So uh, hopefully the Lord is gracious and uh, I won't say anything dumb. Um, <clears throat> so fascinating passage and I'm excited to get to uh, share it with all of you this morning. Um, we schedule pretty regular breaks uh, for Justin and the preaching schedule. And so this was done, you know, a couple months ago and we we're like, well, he's going to come. I was like, I guess I can do that. Like, I don't have any other responsibilities that day. And, uh, then I read the passage and I was like, oh, this is going to be hard. Like, this is a weird text. Uh, and then the first two commentaries that I opened up, literally the first line of the commentary on the passage was, this is the most difficult passage in Ecclesiastes to preach. So I was like, Lord, help us. Um, so uh, I say all of that to say, if it's coherent, if it comes together, um, there was a lot of uh, regurgitated revelation where uh, I had to look for some wiser men uh, to see what they had to say about this passage, because it it's challenging to see it uh, fully in its context. And so uh, that's really where I want to start, is what's the theme of the passage? And then we'll kind of break it down into what I think are the three main points that Solomon's making here. Um, he, he sort of jumps around, so he'll, he'll give you an idea, and then he'll kind of come back to the idea. And so you'll notice we don't take the passage just verse by verse in, in order, because it would take a super long time. We're going to take it thematically. I'm going to show you what, what I think are really the three main ideas. Um, so the theme is that we should use wisdom to navigate through life. That's the big picture. We should use wisdom to navigate through life. So a lot of Ecclesiastes so far, uh, he's been like, everything's vanity, like, it's just striving after wind. 
And now finally he's going, well, if you have to choose between wisdom and folly, wisdom's better, okay? So we should choose, uh, we should use wisdom to navigate through life, and especially when it comes to politics and leadership. So kind of an interesting little like spin on that, that uh, as we saw Greg preach to us last week, uh, the end of chapter 9 and moving into chapter 10, Solomon's talking about kings and princes, and uh, he's not done talking about that. So we're going to drill into some specifics for like instructions for life, but all of it's in the context of how do we relate to uh, leaders, how do we relate relate to politics in general. Um, The backdrop, if you will, just as we're coming out of uh, the end of chapter 9 and beginning of uh, chapter 10 here is this idea that a little bit of folly can really turn things upside down, okay? So uh, we had the, the whole dead flies ruining the ointment analogy, and the point there is it, it just takes a little bit of a leader not a So there's this idea of just the, the world being sort of upside down. Okay, so we're going to actually back up a little bit. So our passage starts in verse 8. We're going to back up to verses 5 through 7 because Solomon actually illustrates this theme that we should use wisdom when we navigate through life, especially in politics and and leadership, with this analogy. So we're going to read that analogy because we want that to be the backdrop that we're understanding this passage from. So starting in verse 5, under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler... Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. So there's that reversal. He's saying that that's upside down. He says, I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. Uh, last week in our passage, we had an example also, you'll, you'll probably remember, of a wise poor man who delivers the city from a rich and foolish king who's attacking. Right? So there's something else. It's like, this is just backwards. Like, what's going on? And so now... We're developing this idea more of what it looks like when wisdom is and isn't applied to leadership situations, okay? Um, we are going to get advice for both how we should lead ourselves when we have opportunities to lead, uh, but also how should we relate to leaders? Uh, how should we relate to authorities in our just regular everyday life? Uh, so uh, where do we get this idea that the whole passage, I mean, if if you're reading along with Judah, it's like, it sort of seems disjointed. So where do we get the idea that the whole passage is under the banner of politics and leadership? Uh, a couple of hints there. One, I thought was kind of cool, uh, this artistic use of the flies, and then in verse 11, the serpents, and then in verse 20, the birds. It's like Solomon's kind of repeating this theme of using an animal or a creature to kind of illustrate his point. mention of kings and princes that he, he sort of puts it down after verse 7, but then he comes back to it in verses 16 and 17, and then again in 20. So uh, remember Solomon, wisest man who ever lived. Like, he's not some crazy old man who's just like, you know what, I got this other idea, and just going to go over here and talk about some proverbs. He's developing on a theme, okay? And so that theme is that we should use wisdom to navigate through life especially when it comes to politics. And so we're going to dig into that and look at three specific ways that we should apply wisdom. All right, and the first is wisdom, uh, we'll say wisdom and leadership. Okay, so all of this in relation to 
other leaders, but sometimes we have opportunity to lead, right? And he's going to give us some, some key ideas here. All right, so verses 5 through 7, he's already said it's evil that fools get to rule when the wise are in lowly positions. So what do we do with that? Well, one, don't vote for idiots, right? Like, that's a really clear and obvious, like, if you've got an opportunity to say, this is what I want, don't vote for somebody who's crazy or who's a fool, okay? But even though we should avoid situations where we're being led by fools, we also have to accept that it's just kind of the way that the world is sometimes, right? And that's the point that Solomon is making. He's just observing. This is how it is, okay? Um, sin has so disrupted the natural order of things that it's often the case that fools become wealthy leaders and the wise are poor and ignored and forgotten. So we first just kind of observe that's reality, and there's wisdom in just taking that in and going, okay. But then we jump over to verses 16 and 17, and Solomon is going to give this like curse and blessing. and thrust those types of individuals into uh, leadership. Um, have you guys seen, it's probably my favorite billboard right now, just down the road here in Fort Union, uh, over by the Home Depot, there's a sign that says, Life is Short, by the Lips. Have you seen this one? I love it. Uh, it's ridiculous. It's this whole idea of, like, try to, I mean, I don't know how laser lip surgery works, but, like, I just assume it's like trying to like you want it to look or probably just more like younger, right? Um, and, and so in our whole culture, we're just like trying to get ourselves to stay young. But here Solomon is saying like, don't put young, don't put children in positions of leadership. Like look to the older uh, for, your, for your leadership. Um, and, and there's going to be implications for us as we look at how do we live in day-to-day -day life. And so just developing the theme a little bit more. Uh, my mom's in town for the kids' spring break, and uh, she hyperextended her knee last Friday at, at Brighton. So, like, we were skiing, and she hurt herself, and she just totally ruined all of her plans uh, for hiking and, like, going down to Zion. And so it's been, like, a much more chill spring break than we had imagined or planned. And I think that was, she may not feel this way because it still hurts, but, like, in his kindness to us, the Lord just slowed us down. So we got to spend a lot of time together. And... Uh, she and I got to make some cookies together last Friday. My mom's an amazing baker. She makes these beautiful desserts and cakes. And uh, we were kidding around about how Evie, my oldest daughter, uh, just recently made cookies for the first time just completely by herself. And Evie read the ingredients. She put all those ingredients in the bowl, mixed it up, put it on the pan, and made not cookies. Uh, they were... Like, when you're baking, the, the instructions are really important. Like, there's an order of things. So you can't just put it all in the, in the bowl. She made, like, peanut butter biscuits, basically. Um, which, I like cookies for breakfast, so peanut butter biscuits was, like, an extra 
I actually kind of enjoyed that with my coffee, but the texture was wrong, right? Like, um, and so we had a good laugh about that, but it just goes to show, like, you don't just thrust someone, like, it would be so unwise of me to say, Evie, you made these terrible peanut butter biscuits, we should open a cookie shop, right? <laughs> and that's kind of the point here, like, no, she should apprentice under someone like her grandmother who really knows how to bake things and learn how to do, like, learn how to hone that skill or that trade. And, and that's kind of what Solomon's saying. Um, don't, don't rush to lead, but take time to learn. That's the message here. Um, Solomon is using an example from his own life, and I think that's kind of cool. Uh, if you think about Solomon, okay, wisest man who ever lived, uh, how did he get that wisdom? I think we, we remember, well, he was appointed king, and he asked God for that. But if you look back at that passage in 1 Kings, it actually says, God, I'm just a child. I don't know how to lead. I need your wisdom. So he's actually referring back to his own experience as if to say, like, when my dad appointed me king, he was crazy. Like, what was he doing? That, was, that could have been horrible for people are promoted to their level of incompetence. Um, we see that a lot. Um, and so the wisdom for us is uh, to know our limits, right? If, if you're applying wisdom in leadership, then when you have opportunities, you'll either you just won't take an opportunity that you're not qualified for, or, or you'll at least express like, I'm not, I don't think I'm the best person for that role. That's very counterintuitive to our culture and to our world. And I think we'll see that theme developed more and more is that Solomon is saying, but foolishness is the norm. Uh, and so people set themselves up for failure. The, the wise person in leadership says, I know my limits, okay? Um, the second thing about leadership there is verse 17, which he gives us some instructions for how a leader should lead. Uh, essentially, a leader should lead for the sake of their people and not for their own pleasure or wealth or extravagance. So... Um, and that that's actually a blessing to the people. So when you lead as followers of Jesus, the Spirit of God helps you to know the times and the seasons for things like working hard or celebrating. When someone doesn't lead from wisdom, they don't know the right seasons. They either overwork or they over-celebrate, right? Um, so wisdom uh, leads for the sake of people rather than for the sake of self. So because just a little bit of folly, as it says earlier in the text, a little bit of folly outweighs wisdom and honor, uh, we should use wisdom in our leadership. Because the, the more that we can, the better it will be for the people that we lead. Um, and, and we all have opportunities to lead. Like, don't hear me just, like, because I work in a corporate setting, I'm just talking about business. Like, all of you have varying spheres of influence, varying levels where you're called upon to lead, whether it's at home, leading your kids, or maybe you're one of the kids and you're older than your siblings. Um, all, all the time, we have these opportunities to lead and exert influence, and God is saying when we do that, we should do it for the sake of others, right? And, and we should be working to be better at uh, exerting that influence. So because a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor, we should use wisdom in our leadership. Uh, we should hope for wisdom from our leaders, but because the world's upside down, we shouldn't be surprised when we get fools who lead us and run things into the ground. That's also part of the text, right? Um, the second thing is that we should apply wisdom 
in everyday life, okay? So we're kind of jumping back in our text, verses 8 through 11, this interesting little break from the way that he's been presenting to now he's going to give us these Proverbs, okay? And the summary of these Proverbs, you, you already know it. You can finish the sentence for me. It's work smarter, not harder. Work smarter, not harder. That's essentially what Solomon's saying here. Um, it's not just a thing that, like, old people say, and it's like, oh, that's a cute saying. Like, no, that's, that's really good advice for life, and it's how God intends for his people to operate. Uh, verse 10 says, if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. essentially saying like, hey, if you don't invest in the process, if you're a snake charmer, you better make sure that that snake is charmed before you go handling it or it'll bite you, right? It's really that plain and simple. Um, But underneath that is this reality that these Proverbs are telling us to slow down. Uh, Wisdom teaches us to invest in the process and don't take shortcuts. Or you could finish this statement, "Haste haste makes waste. So just good advice for everyday life here. Um, Verses 5 through 7 told us about these people who gain positions of authority, even if they don't deserve it, contrasted against people, wise people who do deserve it, but don't get the promotion. They don't get the position. They don't get the authority. And Solomon is essentially saying, hey, even though the world is upside down and people who don't deserve it get to get the recognition, be the one who deserves the recognition, even if you don't get it, okay? Um, There's tons of passages in the Old and New Testament that tell us that our work matters, like how we work is important. Uh, Just earlier in Ecclesiastes, Solomon said, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Um, In the New Testament, we see things like work as working for the Lord and not for man, right? Work as one who will give an account, so our work really matters to God, how well we do it, and we should do it efficiently, right? Like the minimum amount of effort for the maximum amount of output is kind of what Solomon is getting at here, and that says something to those around us that, um, that we're, like the passage says, working for the Lord and not for man. Um, I think the common cultural norm would be to work just like the bare minimum, just like get stuff done. Put in my time, punch in, punch out. And what Solomon is saying is, no, maximize your output, okay? Um, Now, verses 18 and 19, developing on this theme about how much our work matters, he says, through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. That statement, money answers everything, I was like, this is going to be an interesting sermon if we spend too much time on that one. Um, No, he... If the good leader, remember we talked about this, the good leader is working for the good of his people. And he's saying, if he does, there'll be bread, there'll be wine, there'll be money. Like, the people will be taken care of if their ruler is uh, there for them, right? That's all that statement is about. But there's two things kind of at work here. So one, it it is this theme, our work matters. Uh, Even if we aren't in charge, that's fine. 
because Jesus is in charge and he's good and we're working for him. He's set up, we're taken care of by exchanging the value of work for the things that we need. That basic, okay? So we work hard so that the, the things in the world, the things in our lives, don't fall apart, just like the roof in the text, sinking in through sloth. So it takes work to maintain things. Uh, and then because of the fruits of our labor, we get to enjoy the life that we have to live under the sun. Uh, that's the whole thing he's saying here. We've been talking about leaders. He's like, look, uh, if a leader is leading with wisdom, people have got the food and money and things they need, right? The world won't fall apart around them and that, under that uh, leader's kingdom, if you will. But then there's also this subtle allusion to the fact that our earthly kingdoms are falling apart. Like if we just leave them passively, they crumble. Um, the, the earth itself is passing away. It's decaying because of sin. Um, and so any earthly kingdom is a kingdom necessarily built on sand. Um, it reminds me of a song that's 25 years old now. Love this song by Cademan's Call that says, uh, this world has nothing for me and this world has everything. All that I could want and nothing that I need. And that's this idea of just like vanity, striving after wind. It's like the more that I work to gather, the quicker it seems to run out of my fingers. Um, and so Solomon is he's not letting us get away from that idea that the earth is passing away. Um, God knows that our, our land, our kingdoms won't last. And so graciously through the, the book of Ecclesiastes, he just keeps calling us to look beyond the horizon. It's not just life under the sun. Um, it's life with our eyes set on his coming kingdom. Uh, so he says, set your minds on things above, right? Justin said a couple of weeks ago, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And so that's what's subtly underneath this idea of the roof sinking in when we leave it alone, is God's reminding us to keep our gaze up above the horizon, not just life under the sun. Okay, so what is... Wisdom in everyday life. What does that look like? In summary, it looks like being the person who invests, who does the hard work, go to school, pay your dues, take, don't take the shortcuts. Uh, be the kind of person that deserves to be recognized, and things will generally go well with you. And then remember that the world is broken and upside down a hope that is beyond this life under the sun. So that's what I want us to take away from the day-to-day. -day. Like, why work so hard knowing that oftentimes it's going to be for nothing in earthly terms? It's because we're not working for our earthly leaders. We're ultimately working for God. So the final point here is wisdom in speech. So verses 12 through 15 start to talk about uh, essentially, if I were going to sum verses, it's the foolishness of running your mouth and the wisdom of keeping it shut. 
And uh, I saved this part for last because I'm preaching to myself here. I definitely tend to open my mouth before I know what I'm going to say. And Solomon is saying there's a lot of wisdom in keeping quiet. Um, it's actually a repeated theme throughout Ecclesiastes that fools talk a lot and that the wise let their words be few. Um, and if we jump into the New Testament, we see the, the book of James, chapter 1. So, like, he's just barely gotten done with his introduction, and James is like, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak. Right? So, he, he wants to just go ahead and say in the short book of James, don't talk so much, guys. Right? Um, and so, why is that? We actually see, I think we have up on the screen, uh, James chapter 3. I took uh, some big kind of chunks of this. I want to read it together. Um, James says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. Okay, so whoa. That just took it up a whole notch from it, you're, you're a fool if you run your mouth. Now he's saying if anyone doesn't stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. Later he says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue sets on fire the entire course of life, and it is itself set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. He goes on to say, who is wise and understanding among you? Okay, here's this idea of wisdom from Ecclesiastes. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works and the meekness of wisdom. So it's about how we should speak. But I just want to see, this is a heart issue. This is like our whole body. If we can control our speech, that shows somebody who's completely in control of their members, right? Um, and 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us that we should aspire to live quietly and to mind our own affairs and to work with our hands as, as we've been instructed so that we may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. It's this idea that just living a sort of just plotting it out, that actually shows up those around us something about our relationship with the Lord. It draws them to see Him rather than us when we live in this way. The goal of the Christian should not be to foolishly run our mouths, but to quietly, patiently just walk through life, just to be, okay? Not to be loud, but just to be. Uh, and to trust the Spirit of God for the, for the work, and for provision, and for whatever else we seek to gain by talking. Uh, verse 20 gives us an example of what this looks like in the context of this upside-down world where we have a leader who doesn't, they're not a good leader. Uh, he says, okay, so uh, first I want to just pause from that, like, regardless of your political party, it doesn't take you long to think about someone who's in a leadership position that you would go, no, I don't think so, right? Like, let's, I don't have to give you an analogy there. You can all just kind of pick someone and go, that person is or wasn't great, right? Um, and so what verse 20 is instructing us to do, though, how do we relate to that kind of a leader who doesn't deserve the authority? He says, even in your thoughts, 
don't curse the king. He takes it up a notch. It's not just what you say, but he's even saying like, whoa, like respect the authority that God has placed in your life. Even in your thoughts, don't curse the king. He goes on to say, essentially in the privacy of our own home or our own bedroom, don't talk trash about those in leadership. That should convict us, church. And what's the reason that he gives? He says, for a bird of the air will carry your voice. That's like this idea, the walls have ears, right? Like, um, but this is about wisdom in our speech. It's essentially this. Uh, it's smart just to keep your head down sometimes. And we can only do that if we have a proper view of what God is up to. Where if we were only looking at life under the sun, we would go, that guy doesn't deserve to lead. And we would trash talk him at the water cooler or on our Instagram feed or change our Facebook profile picture. I don't know what people do to protest, but just like we would make it visible and we would make it loud. And what Solomon is saying is there is wisdom and just chilling out, guys. And that's wisdom in relation to the leader, but it's also peers. By not including ourselves in that kind of talk, we stand counterculture where somebody might say, I know you disagree with that. You're like, it's okay, right? When you can just calmly, peacefully navigate through life, that says something about where our peace and our hope comes from to those around us. Um, I used to work, it's been, I don't know, 15, 14, 15 years ago, I uh, worked for a, a big company in Atlanta, and uh, we had this saying, um, don't, I'm going to edit this because I know a lot of our kids are here, uh, it was don't poop where you eat. All right, have your attention now. Uh, there's this idea like you can train a dog by putting them in a crate and feeding them in the crate because dogs won't poop in the same place that they eat. And so then when you leave for work, you can leave the dog in the crate. They won't make a mess because they're like, well, I'm going to eat here later. I don't want to mess it up. Um, and so we would say this at work, don't poop where you eat. Uh, somebody would be complaining about some leadership decision that had come down that they had no, no power over. They just, their job was just to do, right? And they'd say, hey, calm down. Don't poop where you eat because it's about understanding your place in the society, right? What authority do you actually have? What, what good is going to come from you complaining about something? Um, so tomorrow we go to work. Like, maybe something's going to happen that we're, we just don't approve of, this we don't like. But the wise person says, well, I'm just doing my job, right? Now, maybe you have a chance to talk to that VP, and you can go like, hey, I think that this is an unwise uh, situation that we're in. Like, maybe you do have that opportunity to have a conversation. There's wisdom in that, but there's a ton of wisdom in just being quiet until given that opportunity, right? Um, I want to talk just a moment about the political implications of being quiet when there's a, a foolish leader. Um, and I'm going to give an example that hopefully no one has, no one falls into this category, but I think it illustrates really uh, in a strong way what Solomon is getting at here.
a really profane insult against our current president. Um, and people do this, and we see like conservative people and even Christian people like posting this comment, um, let's go Brandon, it's like a subtle protest. I guess not so subtle now that everybody kind of knows what it means. Um, but Solomon is saying like that is not appropriate for a Christian. Um, we should respect the authority that God places in our lives. Um, so, yeah, more could be said about that, but um, as a, the people of God, how others see us engaging with leaders, especially when they're not good leaders, means a lot. It, it means a lot to God, and that's why we have this passage of wisdom, just like how to live. Um, but Solomon hasn't mentioned God at all in this passage. It's just like, it feels like just good advice, right? Like, what are we supposed to do with that? Is it just good advice? We're like, here's advice, life under the sun, it's going to help you live better in the here and now. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk, right? Like, is that really all that it is? Um, I'd like to offer a perspective on wisdom that helps us to see the, the eternal or spiritual significance of of following this good advice. Uh, and it's essentially this, that wisdom, if I could offer a definition, wisdom is seeing things for how they really are and then living in light of reality, okay? Wisdom is seeing things for how they really are and then living in light of reality. And that's why the Psalms and the Proverbs tell us several times the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, so where does this kind of wisdom begin? Because Solomon's just basically said, like, this is what it looks like to be a fool. This is what it looks like to be wise. Well, how do I get the wisdom? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I think we're meant to see that the world is broken by sin, and that because of that brokenness, that sin introduced to the natural order, even if we apply wisdom to all parts of life, things are still going to be upside down. We should apply wisdom, like if you've got a choice between foolishness and wisdom, folly and wisdom, choose wisdom. But when we do, we're still going to have bad leaders. We're still going to work hard and get ignored. Uh, or we'll be hated for not participating in the have to bite our tongue. And it's going to be hard to keep our mouth shut about the ineptness of our leaders. But wisdom would have us accept that that's how things are under the sun. Now, we'll be okay with that. Remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We'll be okay with that reality if and only if we're than just this life under the sun. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. His reality is what's real and true. And the upside-downness of the world is just a shadow. That's the vapor that will soon pass away. But His kingdom is an eternal kingdom that will not pass away. So maybe you're hearing all this about how God intends for us to live. You're like, okay, wisdom, uh, especially maybe the speech, like controlling my tongue and your Instead of hope in his coming kingdom, you're feeling conviction or fear or even judgment. 
you're realizing that God has a good and perfect plan for us, but that you've rejected his wisdom in favor of folly. You've been selfish in your leadership, hasty in life and business. You've used your words to elevate yourself or just because you like hearing yourself talk like me. And all of that is an offense to God. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 44, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And so what we've seen in this passage is wisdom for life. It's in the everyday, it's in our words, but that's the fruit, right? And we trace that fruit back to the root, back to the heart. And Jesus is saying, if your speech is evil, it's coming from an evil heart. If your leadership is evil, it's coming from an evil heart. Like there's a problem inside that's producing that fruit. So if you're feeling uh, conviction about the way you've lived, that's good. That's wise. That's seeing things for what they really are. That's wisdom from God. It's a gift. So beginning to feel the, the sting and the pain of that reality of the way that we have lived is wise, because it's seeing things for what they really are. But then in Romans 3, Paul goes on to say, he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation to be received by faith. And that's the good news, that God made Jesus, who was without sin, to be sin on our behalf on the cross so that in that great exchange, we could become the righteousness of God that was in Him. He took on our sin on the cross, and all those who receive this gift that Paul is talking about, this gift of His grace by faith in Jesus, we get our sins washed away, just like we just sang uh, a few moments ago. And then His Spirit helps us to live according to His wisdom. And the beauty there is that there's grace for when we fail again, because we will. We're not always going to live this way. These are guidelines, right? We're going to continue to fail. I'm going to say dumb stuff, right? Like Judah should have prayed that I didn't, right? Talked about dogs pooping in their cages. But there's grace to cover our sins, that when Jesus, when God looks on us, He doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see the way that we have led poorly or spoken harshly or not respected others. What He sees instead is the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. So if we believe the gospel that Jesus died to save us from the power and penalty of our sins, and we have His Spirit abiding in us, what will that look like? What does that accomplish in our daily life and speech? That's the question that we should be going away with, that he's producing this wisdom in us. We get an eternal... ...beautifully in Hebrews 13. So as I close, I'm going to just 
read this passage and pray for us. The band can come on up and get ready to lead us in song. Let's meditate on this passage as we consider pursuing wisdom, not for wisdom's sake, but the fact that Jesus produces it in us when we have faith in him. And this eternal perspective that we get to have, Hebrews 13, starting in verse 14, the writer of Hebrews said, we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through Jesus, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will. Oh, what a gift, right? Like, We've read this passage and we say, that's hard. Yeah, it's hard. But may the God of peace equip you to, with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, just like uh, Augustine prayed many centuries ago, our prayer is, Command what you will, but do what you command. Um, we confess that we want us to apply wisdom in every part of our lives, everything that we say and the way that we relate to the world around us. But we acknowledge that that's hard and we need your help and that you are gracious and kind to come along and help us with that. Uh, and because of the great sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf, who paid for the, the penalty of our own sins, we have grace even when we, when we don't abide in you, run off and act like fools, talk like fools. God, would you give us uh, grace now, even as we sing, as we acknowledge that you do produce wisdom and obedience in us, um, that uh, just like we read from Hebrews, the right response as we, we don't seek this city, this earthly city that's passing away. We seek a city that is to come. Lord, we long for Jesus' return, so our right response is praise. Um, would you give us Strength and grace even now as we sing uh, to celebrate your goodness and your kindness to us in Christ. Um, Lord, move in our hearts uh, even throughout this week as we continue to uh, unpack and untangle this complicated text in our community groups and across the dining room tables. Lord, just that you would be gracious to us by your spirit to uh, lead us in the way of wisdom and righteousness. So, Lord, yeah, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. Amen.